Yes. Two weeks in a row now, right? Three weeks in a row, I guess? I mean, yeah. Three episodes, which there's two weeks between them all, so. <laughs> yes, we're back. All Out Brawl, episode four. Um, and an episode that today we're going to call Brawlitics. So, guess. And for you, yeah. all you who aren't as pun centric as me, that's Brawl Politics. <laughs> I mean, I, was, I think they got it, but I'm glad you explained <laughs> it. I'm Sam. I just really oh. like it. I'm Chris. Yes, and this is All Out Brawl. We talk about the Brawl format for Magic the Gathering. Um, Make very bad puns. Yeah, well, I mean, some people do on this podcast. Mostly me. Yeah. I did come up with the title. So before we get into the Brawlitics of it all, let's talk about a brawler that has kind of um, just really changed how I look at Brawl. Not really, I guess, but it's just crazy. It's a crazy one. And it's another one of those uncommons from Dominaria. That's right. It's Tachiova. Do you think anybody would have guessed that? I mean, if they've played against a Tachiova deck or made a Tachiova deck, then yes. Otherwise, maybe not. Um, I mean, if you watch the uh, Commander Versus video they did last week, which was the Popper Commander, so they used uncommon legendaries from dominaria as their commanders um jeremy Knoll played a tachiova deck and it was busted um and guess what it's busted in brawl too it's it's pretty much busted in every format um so uh it's great it's crazy card advantage really i guess is the main the main reason it's green blue it does the two things green and blue love best which is play land and draw cards um so ramp and draw cards which are the two best things in magic um right on a singular card that's also a creature that can be your brawler exactly um but yeah i built i built a tattoo of a deck we have another person in our play group who plays a tattoo of a deck um and my deck i built it because I got some some of the like cards that I thought would be really good from Dominaria to uh, draft, but the other person who built it kind of built it with just some like chuff kind of stuff. Like he didn't actually like build it out with any plans in mind. Um, and his deck is still really really good. It turns out because she's just so good. You just pack it full yeah. of good stuff. I think we found and one of the really just crazy synergies he's managed to get um, some success with was Lanor Scout, which just lets you play an extra land every turn when you tap it. Yeah. But, I mean, just think of all the cards that kind of let you get, oh, yeah. well, um, mana ramp through getting more lands, which is, like, green specialty. So, yeah, like, rampant growth effects in standard cost more mana, but they're still the same thing, and you're still finding lands, and then with Tatiova out, drawing cards, and you're just like, gosh, you still have six cards in your hand? I have, like, one. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's... I mean, and that's... I mean, my my favorite, my personal favorite is Ramanak... Sorry, Ramanop Excavator and evolving wilds because you know that's not unfair at all and as you know yeah even when you run out of cards in your deck you can still play that land and sack it and fail to find but still draw a land or draw a card off of playing the initial evolving Wilds. so yeah no it's very good (laughs) um but no it's crazy um we might talk about it at some point but for now um let's just go over real quick here uh some of the news that came out this past week we had an announcement day um and we talked and we learned that in the fall we'll be moving to ravnica once again um which is great i mean honestly ravnica i I started playing around the turn of the original ravnica um and i know that you played during return to ravnica-esque times i played there i started in during theros standard which meant 
Return of Ravnica was included. So right. cards like Packrat and Night Vale Spectre. So I know of the cards. I never really got to draft it or play limited of it, though. So I'm excited for that. Yeah, no. And I mean, the main thing is, um, so from a brawl perspective, what this pretty much means is we're going to see a lot of two-color decks. We're going to see a lot of the, um, you know, the two-color combinations, especially for these first five, excuse me, these first five coming in this fall are going to be Boros, which is red-white, Selesnya, which is green-white, Demir, which is blue-black, Golgari, which is green-blue, and Ajet, which is blue-red. So if you aren't already, like, if you don't already see a bajillion of those in the format, you're going to see so many more because that's what Ravnica is really good for. And we already have really good brawlers in those colors, so I imagine we're going to get new brawlers. We're also going to get good, like, support cards that are probably going to be good yeah. In the decks themselves, like probably multicolored instants, sorceries, enchantments, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, the one thing that I am a little worried about is that I doubt that we'll get a lot of more than two-color stuff, because that's not really what Ravnica is known for. Um, so that might be a little bit of a turn for brawls. We're going to see a lot more two-color, but not as much, you know, three or four or five-color stuff. Um, but we'll see. There's not a whole lot of three-color stuff right now, though, is there? Well, there's Joda and Muldrotha. Um, yeah. And then, is that it, I guess? No, I feel like there has to be... Oh, there's Nicol Bolas. There's, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So, there's not many cards, but it's probably a large chunk of the format because they're really good decks. So Exactly. Yeah. So, we'll see. Um, but there, there was another announcement, too. Do you want to go over that? So, I don't know about it as... I, I didn't really look into it as much as you, but I know that there are some Chinese-only promo Planeswalkers that are being released. Yes. So we get some cool region-specific Brawl decks, probably, but doesn't really have any um, weight on what we're going to be playing. So just yeah. interesting. Yeah. Um, no, so yeah, so there's uh, essentially they kind of in, in line with the Planeswalker decks that we see. Um, uh, they've made what they're calling the Global Series, which have two new Planeswalkers, Jian Yanggu and Mu... Mu Yanling, I definitely butchered the pronunciation there, but essentially they're Chinese, uh, essentially Chinese planeswalkers that are based on you know kind of the lore, um, lore of Chinese history, aesthetics, mythology, that type of stuff. Um, but uh, so, like I said, they're a lot like planeswalker decks. But these, they made two new planeswalker cards that will be only only available in China and will only be standard legal in China. So. Technically, I guess these are new brawlers, but they're not technically brawlers for anywhere besides China. And also, like, not to be too shady, but they're not very good. Like, <laughs> like they're pretty basic Planeswalkers, which is fine. Um, I don't think everything has to be an amazing, flashy Planeswalker. But at the same time, I'm not too upset that they're not in our region because they're pretty, I'm, pretty basic. Yeah, It does... I mean, it does bode well for some decks. So you have a nice um, deck that uses the Jace from the Planeswalker deck. That's really good. So they're definitely not... Like, you can't count them out right now, but... Right. Well, and that's that was one of the things I thought about, is there is a mono blue walker that is one of these two. And she has some really cool abilities, including one that, like, makes your creatures unblockable or, like, gives you an extra turn. Um, but at the end of the day, I was like, well, like... You know, I think I think that they obviously I think every brawler has some potential to build some kind of deck. It may not be like the best deck and it may not be like the most exciting deck, but I think they all have potential. And honestly, like, you know, if you build it to be fun, you can make it fun. But 
We'll see. I had one more. Okay. Just it's not written, but I just remembered it. They also announced they're still doing the BioBox only promos, right? So yes. Not did they mention if it's going to be a legendary card or no? So the only okay. thing we know is that it's just not in the set. So I think the reason that it was a legendary for this past set was because Dominaria was a Legend Matters theme. Yeah. Um, so that might not be the same case here. I really hope not because I'm not a big fan of it. But yeah. like at the same time, part of me is like, well, if that's where they print the third Dimbazet. Maybe that's okay, because, like, I don't need another Nimbazet in my life, you know? Uh, <laughs> but we'll see. Uh, so, like I said, that's coming, um, but in, that's far down the line. Today, yeah. we're going to talk about something that outlives this specific standard. We're going to talk about politics. We're going to talk about... And we'll probably yeah. have more episodes on this topic of, like, the broad topic of um, politics and brawl. But today, I think we're just going to talk about stuff we've encountered in our, like, initial months worth of playing. Yeah. No, definitely. It is only It has only been about a month and a half or so, hasn't it? Yeah, that was, like, an estimate. I wasn't 100% sure of the time. But Sam has actually been recording all of our Brawl games. And it is something we've been playing Commander forever. Well, not forever, but a long time. Yeah. And we started recording our, all of our like games who we played who won who came in what place last year yeah so i think he transferred that same mentality over to brawl and it's been pretty interesting do you want to just lay out some stats quick before we get into the uh politics talk um so i haven't really done a lot like so for the commander stuff i've done a lot more statsy kind of stuff because it's a lot easier to keep track because we always have four players and all that stuff um, we only count four players there. Yeah. I've I've been recording ev- every game of Brawl, and I actually even put in one that I wasn't in because I wanted to have that information. Um, but uh, So I don't really have a lot of information about like winning and stuff, but essentially I, I've recorded 18 different um, decks that have I've either played against or played myself. Um, and I've seen, you know, a nice spectrum of the color pie. Um, there's like three or so mono-colored, and then a large majority of two-color decks, and then uh, a couple three-colors in there. Um, but, uh, I mean, I don't know. I don't I don't really have a lot of, like, good I stats. I guess what moment, I want to so. just tell everybody, like, so they can understand where we're coming from, like, what we're basing all of our opinions on this format off of. We've done a four, I count four, five, six four-player games that Sam and I were both in mm-hmm. right yes and then pr- more than 10 three-player games probably closer to 15 three-player games yeah so we've played a fair amount of brawl i'd say yeah and i think those four-player games are like most of them are two hour long um <laughs> ordeals gr- yeah but yeah so i mean we we've played quite a bit um a lot of the decks kind of are similar obviously because we've only built a few decks but we do have a couple like cough cough you have like five right <laughs> i have six now but yeah oh, i forgot yeah um but yeah so we do also have a couple of other like one-offs of like random people we played against um but yeah so i've recorded a lot of the information just so that way we can kind of look back and see um you know what colors are popular what brawlers are popular i haven't really done the stats crunching yet calling me on the podcast but i will work on that oh and that's bring that's, up, that's yeah. fine though I just, like, you can see how many games we've played, around, like, 30 yep. total that we know of, that we've either participated in or know of. Yeah. And we also just, just from talking at stores and stuff, 
like we know a lot of people who are just getting into the format and building the deck so it's kind of an exciting time right now yeah um but yeah so let's let's talk about politics especially in the ways that we've um seen so the first the first thing let's talk about this isn't necessarily politics i guess but it's more kind of like deck building and like different strategies in brawl so um i think it's play style which influences the way you politic in a match sure so So the topic is play style okay so yeah so um you've outlined here three different play styles especially the ones that we see the most common um yeah aggro control and then what you called play pass so um let's well, we'll break these down and kind of talk about them but the whole idea is we're going to try to talk about what makes these strategies what they are um what makes them better than like what what makes one better than another which one's the best um and i thought it might be fruitful to also bring up kind of the distinction between 1v1 and multiplayer because i think that like for example um if you've like as you'll recall they recently changed the life total for 1v1 versus multiplayer um and before they made that change control was a lot more dominant in the format but aggros had a lot more um i guess potential more of a resurgence i guess since they uh changed the life total because it makes it easier for aggro decks to actually get the impact in especially in 1v1 so let's start with aggro the thing is though just i want to mention before we get into it I don't know if politics play a big role in 1v1, but these types of topics in this first topic do introduce some um, variety in 1v1, so... Yeah, well, and I think there's still some, like, technical, like, politicking in 1v1, but I agree that it's much more of a multiplayer thing. So let's let's talk about aggro decks. So um, I wrote down a few examples that are just kind of, like, obvious. So, like, I talked about my Tiana deck last week, that one's obviously an aggro deck. I'm trying to use combat damage to win the game. I'm going to make creatures. I'm going to make those big creatures, and I'm going to swing with them. Um, yeah, I I know a very strange omission here, which is a deck that wrecked us yesterday, being Samut. Is did you just forget or? <laughs> because that is like the aggro of aggro decks and it's very good sure so somewhat voice of descent the the creature not the planeswalker um naya colors i i do have a what i thought it was kind of an exertion tribal but yesterday we found it it's more of an elder dinosaurs tribal deck (laughs) but exerting lends itself to attacking aggro so yeah i think it's just a it also gives all your creatures haste, so you're aggroing even harder because you're attacking the turn you play them. Yeah. Um, that's a good, another good example. Uh, I put another one here, Rada, the new Rada, Grand Warlord Rada, that gives you mana for attacking. Obviously, you're going to do a lot of attacking because you want to get mana. Um, and then I also put down Adelies, the other deck we talked about last week, sometimes because there is, I think, a good wizard I think, tribal that you can kind yeah. of do as an aggro build so some draws are aggro you have a lot of wizards a few cheap spells you're aggroing some draws are more like you have one or two wizards and you have a lot of big spells so you're kind of like laying low until the late game when you can cast your karn's temporal sundering or your right river's well, rebuke and that's kind of more controlly so let's wait on that yeah. one but so for aggro what like we were just saying you're swinging you're getting in there for damage you're play style your goal is to win the game by dealing enough damage to each other player to knock them out and so yeah you're instantly already making enemies you're playing two three drops and attacking right off the bat right and in our play group we always joke like yeah you just attacked me i'm gonna attack you but that's how the game works like people don't have a reason to do stuff until they're provoked and you being an aggro deck attacking people right off the bat 
gives people a reason to then, when they play their creatures, attack instead of hold back. Yeah. Um, that's true. And also, I mean, one of the things that I think, coming from an EDH perspective, a lot of people who have played EDH know that aggro decks in a multiplayer format are much... Like, in comparison to some of the later ones we're going to talk about, have a lot of challenges, like you were saying from that political side, of people saying, hey, like, you hit me, I'm going to hit you back. But also I think there is just a lot of challenge for aggro of that everyone has a lot of life, and there's a lot of players. Like, when you're looking at Brawl and you're playing a four-player game, you have to deal 90 damage to win the game. I mean, obviously they can attack each other, you can try to get people to do that, you know, in fighting type of stuff, but at the end of the day, if your goal is to make everyone else's life total go to zero, you have to deal enough damage to make that happen. So, um, it seems like a, a high cost. Um, <laughs> but uh, And I think yeah. the aggro decks that do the best are the ones that just are full-blown into that strategy, that are going to have those like um, electric starts, where they get maybe two of the players down to like 10 life by... Or like the end of early game, and then they're kind of like strategic, like strategizing with maybe the player that's doing better um, to maybe take them out and then go one on one or something like that. Yeah, I would say I, I think there's two best case scenarios for an aggro deck. There's one you do what you were saying. You get a really good start and you get in for a lot of early damage. You hit a lot of people and you make it so that you know it's not impossible for you to be able to get in later. Um, and then I think the other scenario is you have just a blowout of a turn. You drop like seven creatures, you give them all haste, you give them all a boost, and you swing. Like you just hit really hard on one turn. Um, I think in EDH we see that a lot more because there's things like Crater Hoof Behemoth and Overwhelming Stampede and, you know, Cricord and Crossroads. Like there's a lot more ways for green to be able to give its creatures those abilities. Um but I think, like, here, maybe maybe another good example for that second one is, like, a Voltron. Like, maybe there's a turn where you make it so that your commander or your brawler can just knock someone out of the game. And it might not be that you can kill everyone that turn, but you're making a very commanding board state where you're saying, by the like, way, I I'm going to win have, now. Yeah. yeah, I could have killed you. But if I don't, what are you going to do for me? Exactly. So, And I think yeah. Voltron is like a subcategory of aggro because it's people think aggro in standard is like playing a lot of creatures and attacking with all of them. But it's also just like playing playing maybe a few creatures that you put a lot into in attacking. Right. No, I think, yeah, I think that's true. The idea I, is yeah. to um, prioritize attacking over staying back and then waiting for your big moment to strike. Yeah. Um, so, speaking of... So, so that's kind of the basic of aggro. Let's move on to the next one and kind of just go through what that, like, so what that is, and then the third one, and then we can kind of compare and contrast between them. So the yeah. next one, uh, do you want to intro it off for us? Sure. So the next one is another big one um, in Commander, and we're noticing in Brawl as well, Control. So yeah. that's kind of the strategy where you're probably don't have too many early plays, and if they are, they're ramping to get you into a stable position where you can hold open mana to um, respond to players on their turns as opposed to um, playing a lot of stuff on your turn. And if you're playing stuff on your turn, it's removal or it's um, board wipes or it's things that are protecting you like Baird or something. But generally you're not playing creatures early and attacking with them. You're kind of biding your time to eventually um, 
kind of outlast the other players and maybe make yourself not a huge target so they're not attacking you and then you swoop in near the end. You're also worrying about card advantage, so you want to be drawing cards to replace your counter spells and your removal spells so you never have like a dead hand. Yeah. So yeah, you're kind of dictating yeah. the flow of the game based on what you're doing. Yeah, so I I put down a couple examples here and tell me if you can spot the connection here. Um Teferi, the new planeswalker, Azor, the Lawbringer, Scarab God, um, and Adelies sometimes. Um, I'm doing a dance because the the <laughs> common thing is blue which is my favorite <laughs> yeah. i'm that kind of person <laughs> yeah so so that's the thing is i think control one of the easiest ways to like and it's not always true don't get me wrong but i think one of the easiest ways to kind of like get at the heart of it is to say blue decks are usually control decks they usually want to play a lot of counter spells play a lot of remove or like bouncing do a lot of like tempo type of stuff so that way they can draw cards and build a good board state for themselves so that way they can win the game either by just outvaluing someone you know drawing more cards than them um getting more answers than them or you know by using alt win cons sometimes like approach of the second sun is like the poster child for control decks in brawl i think right now because it's like i've seen that in multiple decks that aren't necessarily like i wouldn't necessarily think of them as control but like fire song and sunspeaker we played against a deck where that player you like I wouldn't call that deck a control deck necessarily, but approach of the second sun is a perfect way for a control deck to win. It says I'm going to gain seven life, put this card a little farther into my deck, and you know you guys can do your own little squabbling thing, but I'm going to win the game after that. I would, like, I will argue that I to- I would totally think that's mostly a control deck. Oh, the fire sun sunspeaker. Yeah, yeah. I guess that's true because it's a lot of I mean, burn spells and yeah, yeah, and like the life gain is more. You don't. You're not casting cards that only gain you life. You're casting cards that gain you life and do stuff. I think. Yeah, that's a good point. That's. I guess that's a good example of a control deck that's not blue. Like white, you know, leans on things like life gain and you know that prison effect that Baird has in order to kind of pillow fort and build a place for itself. Red burns, black, you know, kills things. Green even has a little bit of you know building up an army rather than you know doing like going aggro like we we're saying with kind of like a Rada thing. So. That's fair. That uh, blue isn't the only color that has control. They all do. Um, what do you think? So, like I was saying, um, I think one of the things is that control doesn't necessarily try to win by combat damage. Um, what do you think are some other uh, hallmarks of the control deck? Uh, I th- like mass mass interaction. So you're casting cards like River's Rebuke, um, Bantu's Last Reckoning. Uh, the whiteboard wipes that I'm failing to remember the names of right now, settle the wreckage, that type of stuff that interacts with the board on a larger scale. You'd never, like, in a control deck, you always, like, towards mid to late game, you always feel bad 1v1-ing, or 1-4-1-ing your cards. Because if you're doing that, you're not getting ahead, and you're not going to be getting to that point where you are ahead and then can win. Yeah, that makes sense. Um... Yeah, is there any is there anything else about control that you think we should mention now, or do you think we can? I don't think in the like large scale discussion of the concept, but I think it's just the idea of you're kind you're you're casting cards that, as it says, controlling the like board state and yeah. interacting with your other 
player stuff instead of casting your own things that are trying to well like, uh, attacker. But that's that's a fair and point. that's how you yeah. that's most control decks have finishers, so they are they are going to end up winning by combat damage probably, but they're going to be with big evasive threats that are going to start swinging once you're in the advantage. Yeah, I guess that's true. Let, let's one before we move on to the last one. Let's talk about from a politics perspective. Um, so. We were saying aggro doesn't really make you many friends because you have to swing at people and that usually invites retribution or retaliation. Um, I think control actually falls in that same category. Yeah, <laughs> but you're you're losing those friends mid-game right. when you start countering the big spells that people are excited to play yeah. and you're wiping huge board states that people were excited to produce yeah. or you're exiling that key artifact that is giving them the advantage they need to win right that's when you start making enemies like oh crap you just did this thing to me i need to kill you so you stop doing that type of stuff to me i think and so i guess kind of getting ahead of myself here but i guess that is the a nice comparison between aggro and control aggro usually invites some like some poor relationships in the beginning because especially when you're swinging into someone who you know doesn't really have much they're like why are you swinging at me and it's like well i want to win the game at some point but like late game when you like you know if you're swinging just like a couple things because you need the value of say getting mana from rada or you know triggering raid or whatever i think people are a lot less like oh how could you do this to me like late game it's usually more like yeah that makes sense because you're an aggro deck um <laughs> whereas i think the control decks are much more like early game you know like they don't really do anything so you're not worried about them but then later like you're saying they counter your big stuff and you're like hey why are you doing this to me i'm gonna swing at you okay so i think next we're gonna talk about the third uh yes strategy which i i really couldn't think of a name for it but i it's just something I've noticed in playing in our play group, but I did come up with play pass. Yeah. And I don't, it's not a, it's not necessarily a combination of the two, but it can be. But I think other strategies are a combination of the two, like Adelie's. This is more like, um, the Tatiova deck we played against yesterday. Yeah. Was like, you're, you're building a board state, you're casting sorcery speed spells like creatures and enchantments on your turn. But then you're not doing anything. You're passing without attacking, without interacting. And you're kind of just slowly building up this board, hoping the other people kind of um, interact with each other. And then you're casting, like, um, mass pumps or something that eventually win you the game. And I wouldn't call that an aggro strategy because you're not attacking, like, throughout the whole game. You're kind of, like, building up to this all-out attack. Okay. So sure. I think that falls into a different category than what we've already talked about. Yeah. And I think that's yeah. decks like Tatiova. I don't know if I can... Probably I would maybe call Multani that type of deck. Because you're playing Mana Ramp and maybe Ramp is a different kind of... There's just a bunch of different types of deck. But this is the kind of deck where you're playing spells. But you're not really making enemies. You're just kind of like scaring people because you're building up such a board presence you're drawing so many cards like what are the, when are they going to finally play that spell that they're going to take over the game with like you're it's like this looming presence you're creating on the board yeah but you're not acting on it if that makes sense yeah i guess um part of it is i guess i don't really see too much of a distinction between this and aggro from like an agro aggro strategy of like I'm not going to swing too much at the beginning, but I am going to do kind of like an alpha strike late game. Um, but I guess I, I do see the... I guess it is still... Know. It is 
it is essentially aggro, but it's a different type of aggro than like playing two to three mana exert creatures that are giving you value early game. Yeah. It's more like building up to that final attack. And I, I, I think that's the distinction. And I yeah. think it plays differently than that other type of aggro we talked about. Yeah. Well, and I was going to say, I think it's also a lot like control because you're building up a huge board presence to make an alpha strike. And like you were saying, kind of waiting until you have an advantage. Um, but, but this advantage yeah. is made through your board state and not the wrecking of board states. Right. No, I, I understand. Um, so, yeah. So I think my, my first reaction when you had suggested this is I, I asked, isn't this just bad deck building? Um, because, you know, you're not doing, <laughs> you're not doing a lot of damage at the beginning and you're not like, you know, prepping yourself for a huge value win. Um, kind of like in a control situation, but at the same time, I did also like maybe maybe that's not a problem in multiplayer because the nice thing about this is like you're avoiding you're essentially doing a weird kind of mix of aggro and control, like I was saying, but you're kind of avoiding the political ramifications because, like you're saying, you're not swinging early, so you're not really you know in, inciting anyone to retaliate, and you're also not like interacting too much with people so you're not really like doing like the mid game like value like getting rid of other people's stuff increasing your own you know resources type of stuff so like you're not really doing anything there either um but you still have an explosive turn near like you can still you're still building towards an explosive turn at the end so yeah i think i think there you're right that this is kind of like a weird like like not weird but it's like a third it doesn't fit into either the other two um, and it's an interesting, and, yeah, political. Like, these three things aren't the things. There's other strategies. Right. There's other types of things. These are just the th- like the three like highlights we've seen that yeah. kind of like um, over like over arch all the stuff we've seen. Yeah. And I think I wanted to just something I just thought of with this strategy is like you can also it's it's political in your favor too because then. Like, if you cast, maybe, like, you're playing Tatiova and you cast the Maltani, that's instantly a big target on them. We're like, oh, no, this player, like, we need to work together to get rid of it. But right. then you can kind of, like, your reason later for attacking that player is like, you removed my Maltani. I want to attack you now. And then, like, that's a reason. Like, that. it's always hard when nobody's hurt you or, like, done something against you to, like, randomly choose somebody to attack. Right. But if you're kind of sitting back, letting the other players remove your threats then you kind of have like incentive yeah then you kind of have the ammunition you need to like put a reason behind your attacks and then like the two players you don't attack understand like oh this person is attacking them because they did this thing if maybe i don't do stuff to them they won't attack me yeah there's just a lot of like intricacies to it that are cool okay sure yeah no i see that um yeah like that's just a tiny thing there's so many intricacies to multiplayer magic um and I think that's what's so cool about it. Yeah. Um, so kind of going along with what we were saying at, when we started doing this, um, do you think one of these strategies is better than the others? Um, I think in the long run, control might be the one that's going to win the most. Just because it is, it's kind of, it's kind of enacting the rules of the game based on what it draws. Like if it draws enough board wipes, it gets to tell you when like your creatures are remaining alive. Right. Yeah. So like it gets to like, yeah, I'm not going to cast my board wipe this turn because the, the, the board presence isn't scary enough for me to do so that like the control player always has that um in their back pocket of being like, okay, this is getting out of hand. I'm going to reset the game type thing. Yeah. 
which I think is, it's kind of, it is annoying to play against, but it's also a part of magic. And I also like playing it myself. So I understand the appeal of it. And I think, I think in the end, that's what I think. I don't necessarily think it's the best strategy, but I do think it probably is going to, I guess that means I do think it is the best. I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't think it's the best in the sense that it's what I always want to play, but it might be what's going to win the most because you have like approach of the second sun. You have a bunch of white board wipes that are good that are going to keep you safe. So yeah, I guess that's what I would go with. Okay. I mean, my thing is when, when you pose the question is one of these strategies better than the other, you can come at it from the sense of like control will win you the most games. But in my opinion, I don't like playing control. I really, I mean, I do, obviously. Like, there's something fun about it, but I don't think it makes for a fun game of magic. I think, I, yeah. I personally, playing against control decks, I don't have as much fun. Um, because I'm more of an aggro or a play pass kind of person. I like to play big things. I like to swing big things. I like to have big weird combos. Obviously, like that's like player stuff, whatever. But so, in my opinion, I would say that I think maybe like maybe aggro or play pass, like maybe a weird mix of the two, is better. Um, just because in those cases, you're not like you were saying, you're not like like you're not doing the control thing. You're not dictating the rules of the game. You're not like saying like this is how this game is going to go. You're saying I'm going to do a thing. Like I get to like I don't. I, I think it's more fun in my opinion than control. And- so. I guess that comes down to the semantics of better. Are we talking about better in terms of winning or better in terms of how fun it is? But I also think there's an aspect of just playgroup dynamics. If you know this one person always plays control and their control decks are very good and very not fun to play against, players are probably going to team up against that player to kind of get them out of the game early so they can play the game of magic they want. But I think that's a topic for a different episode. Yeah, sure, sure. yeah, I mean, that was my thing, is I was just going to say, like, I think that is the, like, when we talk about better, I think there are multiple ways to talk about it. And I think in multiplayer magic, saying that something is better because it wins more is not always true. I prefer like, to, I think it's like 75% fun, 25% winning is the icing on top of the two-hour multiplayer game you just had fun playing. Sure, yeah. Okay, that's fair. Um... We need to keep moving because we don't have much time to diddle I think about. As we talked about those, we did a good job of yeah. like interjecting what's good about them, the intricacies yes. of them. Yeah. Could even be an episode in the future where we talk about just those things, but yeah, yeah we can move on for now. So kind of getting more into the, like the politics idea, let's talk about table talk. Um so you know <laughs> Well, I yeah, I Chris called this something else originally, <laughs> um, but I'm going to call it what it actually is, which is table talk. It's the way people talk during multiplayer games. Um, and Chris, do you, I think you wanted to talk about this. <laughs> to I'm just laughing me, maybe? at the um, fact that you put quotes around both of the words in the thing I called. <laughs> Give me a second to okay. recompose myself. Okay. So I had... Just, we had, well, we were talking earlier today and we came up with this, like, funny term, and I'm doing air quotes now because he put air quotes around both of my words, strategic whining. (laughs) And it's kind of the idea of that, like, if something, if a player does something bad against you, you can kind of play, like, the sad dog or the, um, like, the, the hurt player and that, like, 
oh, you just wrecked my best play. What am I going to do now? Like, why are you so mean? Why are you, like, why are you such a mean player? And then everybody's going to be like, maybe that person does have, like, what are they going to do to me next type thing? Like, you can kind of, like, you can kind of, it's cool. You can kind of take on a character as you're playing to maybe make other players think differently about how they interact with you. Well, and I mean... is in one sense. Yeah. In, In another sense, too, um... It usually, I think part of it is also that by reacting negatively to something, you're trying to enforce the idea to the person that did it to you, hey, don't do that to me again. Like, I'm going to be salty if you do that to me again. And it's no fun if we're all salty, right? So, um, but yeah, so like, let's, so you brought up a point, there's, there's usually some, it, it seems like there could be some strategy to it, some strategy to you know, responding to things like that. Um, And the strategy kind of comes less potent the more you play with the same people over and over again. You kind of know their tics and you kind of know their plans on how they're going to politic throughout the game. So you kind of like see through their promises or see through their ploys. Because when you play with new people, you don't know, like, is this person like, like, is this how they normally react or is, yeah. Yeah, and I think part of that... um, like I, I would say I think that I, I, I mean, like I was saying, I think you added this to shame me personally, and that's okay. But like, I am hey, definitely. I, a- I, I'm guilty of this too. Like, I think everybody who's played Magic is guilty of like, darn it, I was, I was going to win, but you had that one thing that stopped me from doing like what I was very excited to do, and it just feels bad in the moment. Yeah. Um. So I think yeah. everybody's been there. Yeah, it's just I think one of the things is at least from my experience, when we play brawl with like a group of people that have played a lot, um, like you're saying, I think there's less, I, it's weird. Cause I wouldn't say that I, I would say that there is less impact. Obviously like we have one person in our group who repeatedly will always tell us that he's not the threat, but he always builds the most bombastic decks and like the biggest like value combos. So I'd never believe him. Like I'm always sure that he has something cooked up, but yeah, we same, always laugh it off. <laughs> But but at the same time, like it doesn't offend me that he's trying to like connive, like like trying to like you know whine his way out of some situations because I know part of the game. Yeah, when it comes to like playing with people that I don't play with often, though, I don't feel as I, as part of it doesn't like for me doesn't you feel don't as sympathize as much. Yeah, like it feels less appropriate to be super whiny to someone that you don't know. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, which, I mean, I it also reflects of you as a person and a magic player yeah like if you're playing like you can kind of you can kind of act differently with your friends when they know you're um like they know you but if you're playing with somebody at a table and you kind of like blow up on somebody you don't know yeah it's gonna reflect badly yeah um but yeah so i think yeah so in the idea of table talk, we put up a couple of phrases here, and we've already mentioned one, the I'm not the threat phrase, which usually is only said by someone who is definitely going to win the game in the next turn or two. Um, so, like, what do you think What, what do you think is appropriate table talk? Do you think, like, I, I think there is, like I, we've been saying, maybe a time and I a place think... for some, like in quotes, strategic, in quotes, whining, um, about, you know, like, you know, in interacting with players. But, like, what do you think is appropriate? I think deal-making is fine. I think, um, like, anal- analyze, an- sorry, analysis is fine. Like, pointing out all the stuff on the board. But you're kind of conveniently not talking about the things in your hand. So 
I there is it might be a little um I don't not I don't know if wrong is the right word but no sorry dishonest if you're like if you're trying to say like if you do this um to this that's going to help us all but in reality you have a card in your hand that after they do that thing is going to make it so you win yeah like i think there's a balance to be had between like analyzing the board and like talking like oh that player has the biggest threat if they keep that they're gonna win as opposed to like trying to weasel your way into a win from maybe making somebody do something that isn't in their best interest but you make them think it is but it's probably like it's in the end it might all be fair because i mean like they're a person they can make their own decisions in the end yeah like you're just you're trying to talk your way into a win essentially all the time yeah so it's all kind of fair game because you know we're all adults we all make our decisions we all you know like if you're if you're using like a like if you're using as a tactic to kind of like get someone to do a play that maybe isn't optimal for them um you know they're still a person like like that's kind of in you know it's part of the game is what you're saying i think right yeah and I mean, like, you have to, it's kind of getting a little deep, but you have to accept those moral implications, and you have to, like, know that in this instant, it's just a game. Yeah. Like, you have to keep that fact in mind. Like, can't take what people are doing in the game personally. Right. See, that's, I, I think that's a, I think that's true, too. I think that, at least from the way that I play, and the way that I've seen other people in our group, or, you know, just in general play... Um, I think that there is a lot to be said for, you know, like not necessarily being ruthless or anything like that, but there is an element. One of the things about magic, one of the colors is black. And one of the things that black does is that it like, you know, it uses any, like it's kind of a win by any means kind of thing. And it uses like all of damage to draw cards type idea. Right. Which like, but in real life, you know, in a game, maybe, you know, not, like, you know, convincing someone else to use up their removal so that way they can get rid of someone else's threat. That's a big problem for both of you, but then you drop a huge bomb because you knew that they were going to use it on your thing if they still had it. So, mm-hmm. like, I think there's a lot of things in there where it's like, that's part of the game. Like, I agree. I think it's part of the game. And, like, as a player, I think part of the problem for me is that I sometimes, like... Sometimes my reactions are not necessarily appropriate for, like, even inside a game. But for me, that's part of the game still, I think. Is that, like, when I react poorly, when I do my, like, strategic whining about how someone's targeting all of my stuff, um, I think part of it for me is my reaction is also still part of the game. But at the same time, like, I think there's a limit to that. I think there's an amount of time where it just gets, you know, maybe a little too deep or a little too like raw yeah exactly so i don't know it's 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 i I mean it's just it's probably hard for a lot of players to like separate themselves from the game yeah and i think that's just how people are and i think like it it helps when you're playing with people that you know and that you care about and that you yeah um like see every week so i guess i was just remembering as we were talking through table talk i have so when it was just the three of us before you started playing with us, there was this one time where I did make a deal with uh, Derek. Yes. Yeah, so, and yeah. then I won by breaking that deal. <laughs> like, strata, straight out, made a deal. Like, he took Andy out, and then I won. It's like, yeah, that did not feel good. I don't think I'm ever going to do that again. 
Right. But I mean, I think that's still fair game. Like if you're the kind of person that wants to break your deal to win, then go for it. It might not feel good. They might not accept you as the winner because you broke your deal. But in the end, it's just a game of magic. Like what does the win mean in the end of the day? Yeah. And I mean, I guess part of it um, in that kind of regard, I think there is something to be said for the alternative, which is like, hey, don't break your deals. But that's not necessarily from just like, like that's not, I think it's fine to do either one in the game. You can choose. I think the main argument against that is something along the lines of like, well, if you break your deals, no one's going to make deals with you anymore. Yeah, exactly. So like, be careful about what you do. Um, I also love the nuance of like, you make a deal and then like, it gets to your like holding it up and you kind of like weasel your way into like some lesser part of the, like, Oh, you told me to do this. Well, I am doing that, but right. Well, yeah, like, yeah, kind of, you know, doing your own, (laughs) Like, twisting the deal to your own means. Yeah, I mean, overall, I think the the main thing I wanted to come away from this with was that, like, I think that there is, like we were saying, strategic whining. I think it is a thing. I think it's part of the game. I think that it's totally something that people do. Um, it's not a bad thing that people do it. But I do think that the important thing coming away from it is, like, keep it in the game. Don't don't do something like know who you're playing with. Keep it at an appropriate level for the people you're playing with. If it's with strangers, you know, don't throw a tantrum because nobody wants to be that person. We want to have a fun game, even though, you know, we're all trying to win. Like there's still something we said for still making the game fun. Um, so I don't know. It's and I mean, circular. like in this, yeah. in that same vein, they might be taking it personally because you're doing a lot of stuff to them. But then you have to be prepared if you ever play them again to like, if you're getting a slow start, they're probably going to do that same thing to you in retaliation for the last time you did it to them. So like your actions have ramifications later on, like in the moment, then it might seem like a good idea. But if you want to win more than just that one game, maybe you got to play a little bit like more reserved type thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, at the end of the day, you know, what's fun is different for different people. People, there are people that really love to win and, you know, for them, they're going to be ruthless. They're going to do what it takes to win. Um, and that's fine. But at the same time for other people, maybe that's not fun. And so just Just do you, do you know what you're doing? Own up to what you're doing. Also like, that's I think that might be. You're playing be the last blue, part. Yeah. people are gonna hate you for playing their counter spells. Exactly. So you just have to accept it. Yeah. So last thing, let, let's talk about a very specific type of politics that we've seen in Brawl a lot. Yeah, and I think it's very interesting. Yeah. So one of the things, just to kind of set this up, that we have seen in Brawl a lot is that a lot of us don't play white or black so we don't have a lot of board wipes or red i guess for that matter we don't have a lot of board wipes. we like green and blue um and so we get to a lot of games where three or four players you know we're all building a huge board we're all making a lot of stuff and then it gets to a point where one person realizes hey i'm probably not going to win the game just due to like attrition that's happened over the game or whatever um or just the board state or just the board state someone you know has a bit like a huge cultivator of blades and you have no way of dealing with it and you know that's going to be coming at you um and you realize 
I could make a pretty big impact on the game by swinging all out at someone or using my big, like, you know, rivers rebuking someone, um, but essentially leaving yourself vulnerable, but making a huge play, you're not going to win, but you will make an impact on the game. Um, And maybe decide who does win. Yeah. So that's the thing is we see a lot of king making going on in our games um, where, and, and like I can remember vividly games where it was like one person's like, well, if I swing, that person's just going to kill me. But if they swing at me in retaliation, then the next person's just going to kill them. And then that, or if we let it get back to that person's turn and neither of us do anything, they just win period. Right. So yeah. So there's a lot of like, (laughs) like stalls where it's like, well, I could either swing this turn and lose. And then like the other person has a chance of not winning, or I could not do anything and stall, and that person will win, like, you know, down the line. Um, and I and I think a good example of this is yesterday when we were playing a game. It was Neheb. Uh, Ted, no, who, what, can you remember? I always have yeah. trouble remembering. It, so Neheb the Worthy, the red-black one, um, Tatiova, green-blue, and a Jason Genius Mind Mage mono-blue deck. So... Yep. What had happened? And we got yeah. down to a board state where two players had two life and one player had one life. Yeah. And yeah, so essentially it came to a point where the Tatiova player had essentially, like, everyone had essentially gotten to a very low life. Everyone had a kind of weak board. Like, everyone had, like, maybe one or two creatures. Do you want to just explain the situation? I think it, it might be pretty easy and to shed some light on, like, the type of idea we're thinking of. Yeah, so, so I, I was going to get it. Yeah, go go into it, because you were the Neheb player. So you were the yeah, one I was. It the... was my turn. I was the Neheb player. I had Midnight Oil out. I had a Raider's Wake out. I had creatures I could attack with. So my opponents are at two and two life. I'm pretty... No. Yeah, I was at the one life. The end of my turn, I was going to have to discard a card, which would make me lose a life from midnight oil so i was going to lose to the end of my turn no matter what so then i could essentially from my raider's wake trigger decide if some who like if i had just attacked somebody my creature attacking wouldn't kill them but my um trigger from that would kill them and then i would also die so in that instance i could like essentially decide who won right then well, and the bigger, the more. But important... I couldn't win. Yeah. So the the other important p- part about this, I think, was that the Tetsuya player had no cards in hand, and yeah. the Jace and player you, if did, it, and you would beat them when it got to your turn because you had right. an unblockable creature that could deal two damage. Right. So yeah. So essentially, you were in a situation where you could. The, the problem I get, like you, you essentially had a choice where you could either kill one of the two of us or. Like, you could kill me, who I was the Jace player. You could have killed me, and then Tetchova would have won because you would have lost at the end of turn. Or you could not, like, essentially just lose the game, and I would then beat the Tetchova player the next turn. Um, and in, yeah. in this instance, it's like, I died to the Midnight Oil, but just think about it like this. If I, if I was going to lose, like, if I had one creature... Um, and then Sam was next with a creature that could deal lethal damage to either Andy or me. But then it would get to Andy's turn, and he had this huge board. And if we let it get to his turn, he was going to win no matter what. Yeah. Right. So it's kind of hard in that instance to be like, "What do I do here? I can't win right now, but I could impact who wins." That's kind of like the kingmaker mentality, where like, do I want this person to win? Do I want this person to win? Do I want to let it just come down to what they have. Like, I can't win, so let's see what if they can win with what they have. Yeah, well, and, like, I don't know. It's it's interesting, because I was just thinking of another time, as I mentioned Firesong and Sunspeaker. 
we had like a huge stalled board state, but they had cast Approach of the Second Sun, and we were keeping very careful track of how far down it was in their deck. And you had an Ipnu Rivulet that you could use to mill them, so that way they would lose this fire, that they would go straight to graveyard, they wouldn't get to cast it again to win the game. But we killed you, and you, in retaliation, did not use Ipnu Rivulet, so that way they could draw it and win the game. Well, that um, was two and a half hours later, too, so... <laughs> right, well, but, like, so that's part of it. I think um, yeah. it's, it's interesting. I don't know. It feels weird, I think, from a Magic perspective, like, especially from, like, an EDH perspective, because this does happen in EDH, but it doesn't feel like it happens as much as it does with Brawl. Um, no. But so like, I think there's yeah. more powerhouse finishers in commander whereas in brawl yeah there aren't there they're more far and few between yeah so <laughs> i said that backwards few and far between uh so you're never getting to that point where you're just killing or winning i guess killing everybody in the same turn yeah you always have to like one person at a time or maybe two people at a time but if you do that then you're leaving yourself open to that one last person winning yeah it's always a balance um I don't know. It's interesting. I think that's it. So, like, I'm trying to get at the heart of this, which is like coming from an EDH perspective. I think that there's a lot of bad rep for king making. I think a lot of people look down on those decks, especially like because that's like kind of the reputation that group hug decks and like you know Kaneos and Tiro of Miletus and Fell the Griff decks kind of get is that the main thing they do is kind of just like interrupt the board state prison up and like give out treats to other people um and they don't necessarily do much for themselves to win the game they usually end up helping someone else win the game and people don't like that yeah and especially in edh people don't like that but i think in brawl it's just like you were saying it's just kind of how it is so maybe is this something that we just have to get used to maybe for brawl or maybe react to like you find a card or a interaction or a strategy that kind of gets you out of that sticky situation yeah where you are you are leaving your fate to somebody else yeah maybe that's i don't know maybe it's something where we require more politicking um yeah than we do in edh because you know we don't have cyclonic rift and we don't have crater hoof behemoth we can't just blow out every like three other players at once so maybe this is something where king making like, maybe that's the problem. Maybe we were all just so accustomed to the idea that, like, I should win the game because I have, like, a big blowout turn and I have the ability to remove everyone else from the game. Or I drew my combo. Right. Um, maybe instead it should be more of a, like, well, I can't win the game, and I, but I know that this person is going to win the game. We need to work together to remove them from the game. I don't know. Hmm. Maybe we just need to get used to kingmaking. Maybe that's just a thing that's going to happen in Brawl, at least but right I think now. You just raised a good point, though. Maybe instead of thinking, like, oh, I can't win, so I get to, like, if I do this, I can decide who wins. Maybe it's you have a situation where I can't win right now, but if I were to do this, that person would. But maybe if I worked with the other person to kill that person, maybe then, like, I'd stay in this game long enough to then draw the card I need to win. Right. Um. Yeah, I think... I think yeah. well, talking through this and just like just right now you were saying, I think there might be a little bit, a little bit more politicking to brawl maybe just because you don't have those 
instant win type of situations as much as yeah commander well and honestly i think that's one of the things that's made brawl really fun over this past month and a half is that with edh um at least and i i would say that our edh play group ran into this problem maybe last fall and like then we kind of moved away from it a little bit but still exists where it's like if one person draws that one card then they win the game um and they beat everyone else and that's just how it is but yeah, I, think, I guess yeah. that's that's also in Brawl right now with alt-win conditions of, like, Approach of the Second Sun and mechanized production. Yeah, and- but, I mean, at the same time, I think in those cases, like, we see those in Commander, though, too. Yeah. And in those cases, usually the three people usually gang up to help prevent that person from winning on the spot. So yep. I think it's just something where I think Brawl is... I, maybe that's part of the problem is we all came into it with the idea of like, this is standard commander. This is just like commander. Maybe it's not like commander. Maybe this is a different kind of multiplayer magic where we actually have to interact more and actually have to work together as, you know, pseudo teams and stuff. And maybe like, and to be fair, there are probably a lot of people who do that in EDH already. And like, they're just, you know, typical EDH practices that happen that are similar across most EDH groups where it's like, oh, the power level's super high and like you don't have to work together because I can kill everyone. My or I can win on turn three. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> But we were never like that anyway, so... No, but yeah, so... It's, a, it's yeah. an easier transition for us, but it's still very different. And I think it's cool that... I think we came to some conclusions we didn't have before this episode. Yeah. No, I think I think there is... I think one of the things is... I think we just have to get more comfortable with king making i think we just have to be like yeah sometimes you're going to be in a situation where you can't win the game and it's up to you to be like who do i think played a better game i guess that's the weird part i think this is turned into survivor <laughs> exactly yeah like i'm on the jury i'm i'm out of this game effectively but i think that this person did the least wrong to me or this person did the best too right like maybe yeah you're not holding a grudge so you're being like uh, this person probably has the means to win more so than this person. Or, yeah. 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 I don't know. It's... This has been a really cool discussion, I think. Yeah. I, I think it's one of those things where it just, it's new. It's different. Um, And yeah, maybe it's just one of those things where, like we were saying, we don't really have a choice in the matter because in Brawl, we don't have the tools to make that, like, make it. I think part of it as EDH, like as game players in general, we think, I think that the person who plays the best deserves to win. But we all have different definitions. Like we were saying with like, you know, the types of decks, we all have different definitions of what the best way to play is, which is why the kingmaking makes us feel uncomfortable because those of us who are on the receiving end of the kingmaking, those of us who have played the, who feel like we've played the game the best, we should win because we did the best job. We're at the end. We're, we're one of the two people that essentially are going, like are threatening to win we both feel like we deserve to win because we did the best game and leaving that up to someone else who we like, who obviously didn't have the best game because they didn't, they're not going to win um, feels weird, but maybe, maybe it's just a part of magic that we need to like part of gaming that we need to just Learn push about more. Yeah. Like an embrace. Yeah. Huh? Okay. Well, that took a turn. <laughs> I think it took a good turn though. I like that. Yeah. Um, is there anything else you wanted to bring up on this politics episode of of All Out Brawl? I don't think so. I think we we touched we kind of briefly touched upon some things yeah. that I think will be great topics for later yeah. brawlitics episodes, but sure. I think 
I think we pretty much like hit all the points we wanted to in this episode. Yeah, I think I think this is a good starting one. I think this is a good place where we can say like obviously a lot of the things we talked about are really similar to EDH things, especially like the table talk, you know, types of decks, that type of stuff. But I think like we were just saying in this last section, like there are some things from EDH that maybe we need to let go of. Maybe we need to change our attitudes about for Brawl specifically. So, um I don't think there's much else here, though, for now. We should definitely delve into these later. Um, If you're listening to this and you have opinions about, you know, anything we talked about, if you think we should have covered another deck type, like we said, there are a lot more than the 3B talked about, but, you know, we we were talking about ones that we run into the most. Um, Or if you think, you know, there's some more to table talk that we didn't really cover or things you think are, like, really, really aggressive table talk that's not appropriate or things like that. Um, Or if you think that we're wrong about king making or if you think you were right about king making you should let us know yeah so thanks everybody for listening well how, and if you want yeah. i was going to tell them how they find us well i was gonna say I, I was trying to set you up there for like a dunk into like if you want to let us know your thoughts about that here's um, how you can do are it are you gonna edit it <laughs> we'll see <laughs> okay i guess if you want to let us know your thoughts we're not great at this basketball thing. I don't not really have an alley oop. So, <laughs> if you want to let us know about this, uh, these topics, your opinions on them, we'd love to hear them. We are on Twitter at All Out Brawl MTG, uh, and I think that's our most used platform. But we also have a Facebook with the same yeah um, link. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, if you go to Facebook.com/slash All Out Brawl MTG, and yeah, I keep up to date that Twitter. I post pictures of like board states and cards I'm playing and games we're playing. Um, I'll probably maybe start talking more about games we're playing and we'll interact with you guys um, if you do post there. So feel yeah. free. Um, you can also email us if you have longer thoughts or whatever. Um, or maybe ideas for a new like new topic that maybe could be a cool surprise or something. Yeah, so uh, that's alloutbrawlmtg at gmail.com. Um, past that, you can find more stuff. If you go, uh, you can find, uh, Chris streams on Twitch. He sometimes does MTG arena. You sometimes don't does need MTG. to do oh, this. It's a uh, twitch.tv slash Retoto, which is R E T T O T O. Yeah. Did it. Um, and I also do another podcast, which is about glee, which is completely different from this one. And as I plug, I plugged this one on the on a recent episode of Sam Maggie Hate Glee, and I had to say like, I don't think that these worlds cross very much. <laughs> no, not at but, all. But if they I do, mean, they cross for us because we live them, right? But, but if I mean, maybe they'll cross for somebody else. Yeah. If, if you're interested in hearing me and my sister talk about the television show Glee and how much we dislike it, you can find it at Sam and Maggie Hate Glee, um, and you can just look that up. You found this podcast. I trust in your ability to find another one. Um, yeah, and I personally laugh a lot at that podcast. Yeah. So, and I, I normally don't find Sam funny, so that's saying something. That's a lie. That's not true. <laughs> um, yeah, that's just about everything, though. So, until next time, I've been Sam. And I have been Chris. And this has been All Out Brawl. Gotta get that pick and egg basket, or whatever I said <laughs> last time. <laughs> <laughs>